Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the uh, privilege it is to, uh, to have your word and to be able to jump into it and talk through it together. Lord, I pray that you would show us um, things that we need to know that, you know, I've got a lot of notes here, but we're still dependent upon the Spirit for good communication of these truths, for the ability to understand these truths, um, for the ability to remember these truths and to help others remember, remember them. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we humble ourselves before you tonight, and we do ask that you would uh, make that happen. Uh, I pray that you would give us insight into everything from marriage to business stuff to friendships to integrity um, as we talk about all those things tonight. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I will intentionally end early tonight to make up for the very, very long-winded sermon Sunday. So, (laughs) sorry about that. Didn't realize it. Uh, Genesis 29. Go ahead and turn there. few things before I read through this. Uh, at the outset, what does this narrative about Jacob remind us of? This story is very similar to the other story of who? Yeah, Isaac and Rebekah, where Eleazar goes to find uh, Rebekah for Isaac and stumbles upon her at a well. Um, so there's lots of similarities there. We talked through them last week. And all of our Wednesday night stuff, all of our Sunday morning stuff is online. You can go to Ustream and there's live video of it. That's why I'm so dressed up, because uh, it's on the internet. Uh, did my did my hair special tonight. Um, uh, then there's podcasting. Um, there is, you can stream it online if you're at work and you can't download anything, or you can download it. So uh, if you miss things or you want to go over things, that's a resource. We try to put all that on there, uh, all for free, obviously, uh, just so we have good resources to, uh, uh, to be able to walk in the truth that we've heard. So... Um, who did Jacob marry last week? Leah. Rachel. That's odd. Okay. Uh, Leah and Rachel. Uh, what do we know about Rachel? She's hot. What else do we know about her? She's a shepherdess. She's a hot shepherdess. You don't come across those every day. Um, do we know much else about her? Who's her dad? She's probably more manly than Jacob. Her hands will have more calluses. Um, yeah, she is. Uh, she's Laban's daughter. That's important to note. Uh, what do we know about Leah? Wait, 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 wait. What does Rachel mean? You, like E-W-E, like a little beautiful lamb. Okay. What do we know about Leah? What does Leah mean? Cow. Okay. What else do we know about Leah? She wasn't pretty. Oh, cow thing. What else do we know about her? She's the older one. She's the firstborn. That's important. Do we know anything else about her so far? She is not married at the point that they meet, where she goes unnoticed. 
Um, what did, uh, what did uh, Jacob do? He's 70. He's out of the house for the first time. He's growing up, putting on his big boy pants. And he gets there, and he sees the, uh, the well, and pretty Rachel walks up. And what does he do to impress pretty Rachel? He lifts a heavy stone. Pretty girl, guy impresses, lifts heavy thing. I notice you, notice me lifting heavy thing. Okay. Uh, and I was looking even more this week that that stone was normally something that couldn't be moved until all the shepherds were there. And so they would all together move it. So this is a real, I'm 70. And he really <laughs> rolled the stone away, impressed his lady. Um, uh, how long did Jacob work for Laban before Laban considered wages? A month. And that really served a twofold purpose. One, Jacob could prove himself because he didn't show up with anything but himself and the clothes on his back. So unlike Eleazar, who brought you know, riches and gifts and proof that he was legit, um, Jacob didn't really have that. So it served a dual purpose. Uh, on the positive side, he was able to prove, hey, I'm willing to work hard and I'll support your daughter and I'm legit. I'm not just some freeloader who's here to try and hook up with your daughter and get a free meal. And he, and he proves himself during that time. Now, on the negative side, Laban gets a whole month of free labor out of him before he even considers, hey, your family, maybe we should pay you. And that's kind of the attitude we see of Laban through the whole thing. So let's look at Genesis 29. I'm going to read through. And we're going to go on into verse 30, or chapter 30 a little bit. So I'm going to read this whole narrative to give us an idea of all that's going on. We won't finish 30. We'll go through 30, 24-ish. We'll at least read that far. We'll see how far we get in our notes. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Verse 2. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, uh, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Exclamation point. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water uh, the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then, the, then we water the sheep. That's a picture of all the flocks are here. I mean, all the shepherds are here. We can roll this thing back. So... God gives him this amazing strength to do that. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. It's not a transition. It seemed a little weird. Uh, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Uh, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran uh, to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, uh, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Something that needs to be noted there. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Sure, why not, is what he's saying. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days 
because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Did I miss something seven years ago when we had this talk? Why then have you deceived me? How dare you deceive me? Laban said, oh, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. <laughs> Complete the week of this one. And we'll give you the other in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban uh, gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name is called Levi. And she conceived again. A lot of conceiving for a hated woman. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go unto her that she may give birth on my behalf. That even I may have children through her. Sounds familiar, right? So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. How do you get Dan and Naphtali? When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Jacob's busy boy, in case y'all haven't caught on. In the days of wheat harvest, of the wheat, uh, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? You can just picture how that conversation's going. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Very dramatic. Is my husband not enough? You want mandrakes? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight. Rachel said, then he may, he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. What she just said was, I'll give you Jacob tonight if I can have some mandrakes. 
When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have become born him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Yeah, so this is pretty jacked up. This whole thing is a mess. When, when you go any direction other than a husband and a wife, you're going to end up with a mess like this. And um, this, this is a, a real example of when we take uh, matters into our own hands uh, to try to get what we want out of life and such. So uh, we're going to look at this. Um, and as we read this, again, just be mindful that these things are included so we can understand things, so we can learn we're not just, we don't just get to read this and say, wow, that's one jacked up family and go on. Uh, we, we learn things from this. So in verse 18, 29, 18 uh, is where we pick up from last week. It says that Jacob loved Rachel. And it's kind of hard to consider that he loved her because a lot of us would probably have a different definition of love. What's a basic definition? If I was to go to the magazine rack at the store and read what was in front of me, uh, what speaks for our culture, what would they say love is? Yes. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Vanity. What, what else would they say love is? Lust. Yeah. Essentially, that's what would be described in large part. It's shallow. Okay. Would they say it's hard work? Probably not. Yeah, falling out of it. Yeah, whatever's pleasing. Yes. Okay. So here, Jacob loved Rachel, and we looked at our uh, Isaac and Rebecca study, where uh, Ravi Zacharias wrote a book called "I Isaac Take Through Rebecca." It's really good, but it talks a lot about things that are very unfamiliar to us. And he makes this comment that I just want to share. We shared it last week in connection to Titus two, but he says, "Love is an enormous commitment that will test you at some of your most vulnerable areas of spirituality: lust, greed." pride. It demands of you the quality of commitment that Jesus uses in his analogy uh, in his relationship to us. He's saying the kind of love you're called to in marriage is a love where Jesus says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. And so then the wife's role would be that of the church. And so he's saying that this is a serious uh, demands of you quality of commitment that's very high. And he says, love is as much a question of the will as it is the emotion. And if you will to love somebody, you can. It's very, very foreign to us. You don't, I love you, sweetheart. Why? Because I willed myself to. I mean, it just doesn't sound romantic. It doesn't sound poetic. Uh, you don't see it on Valentine's Day cards. I tried really hard. Now I love you. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, there is truth to, um, to it being far more an act of the will than it is just a gooey show of emotions that you can't articulate on. Why do you love me? I just do. It just feels right. Well, that... That's not really concrete. That, is that going to last? What, what happens when something bad happens? What happens when hardship comes your way? Is, is, that, gonna, is that what's going to help you all to, 
to uh, brave the storm together in a God-honoring way. Uh, Titus 2, you can write it down in your notes, you don't have to turn there. But Titus 2, 3 through 4 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children. That's kind of a weird verse if you've never considered anything like that. It says that one could be trained by another member of the body. It's a picture here of a younger woman in the body of believers who's trained by an older woman to love her husband and children. Have you ever considered that within the community of believers, you could be trained to love your husbands and children? Um, that is something we looked at a lot. And like I said, all of our resources are online. There was like a 10-part Wednesday night deal on that. Um, that's pretty in-depth. But I just want to make sure we don't dismiss this as, well, he didn't really love her. Apparently he did. Uh, what does Jacob show in willing to serve for seven years? He says, I'll serve you. He says, what are your wages? The ball's in Jacob's court. He's like, all right, what are my wages? I mean, if you're going back and forth, it's, it's his move. Call. I'll serve you for seven years. And, and I want to marry Rachel, the hot sister. And what does he show in saying that he'll serve for seven years? What are some things that that indicates? Devotion, yeah, for sure. Steadfastness. Consistency. Commitment. Perseverance. They're not sleeping together during these seven years. And you can tell at the end when he's like, seven years are up! It's go time! Um, this is seven years of commitment, perseverance, patience, um, purity. Uh, and it, it is a, a, uh, it's a picture that is not completely selfish, though there is still some selfishness in it, which we'll look at it in a minute. Love is an act of the will is a foreign concept to us, but um, the love that Christ has for his bride should teach us much about what love really is. Uh, look at verse 19. 19. Uh, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Uh, so Laban's pretty much saying, uh, sure, why not? And what he does is Laban's getting the better end of the deal, uh, seven years of, and a month of free labor, and there's no um, dowry mentioned at all, which is very uncharacteristic of the time. And so it's like, yeah, you do that, and then you can have her. That's fine. When you look at arranged marriages and bride prices and dowries, those things were actually meant to um, help to, to validate the worth of the bride, not invalidate the worth of the bride. And here Laban's kind of invalidating the worth of his daughter by saying, yeah, sure, that sounds good to me. Seven free years of labor, you can have her, that's good. And then in verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. This is like the kind of thing you make a movie about. You, it, the movie would pan in and it would start with Jacob in the field working hard. And, uh, and you know, seven years seemed but a few days because of the love that he had for her. It's very poetic. We all say, oh, uh, why? What, why do you think that, that this was included here? Just digging in a little deeper. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reminder. It's a picture of him working for seven years. It's a picture of what he actually did. It's a picture of what actually happened. Don't lose sight of just what they talked about. Look at what actually happened here. And uh, um, this is, I mean, what woman would not look at this and say, man, I wish I had a man who was like that. Look at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Uh, this is the it's go time verse. Um, Though it had only seemed a few days, 
Jacob never took his eye off of the goal. Uh, Two things are made very clear. The first is what he wants to do, and the second is what he's going to do. And in verse 22, you see how quickly we went through verse 21? It can be really uncomfortable if I didn't go to verse 22 quickly. Uh, Verse 22, uh, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. So Laban seems to respond in a noble manner. Yes, Jacob, you served me for seven years, and I will respond in a noble manner. Gather the people. I'm throwing a party. We're going to have us a good old-fashioned wedding ceremony, um, bring out the, the finest goods, and we're just going to all celebrate because you have served for seven years, and a deal is a deal, and we're going we're gonna to have a, a wedding, and, and y'all are going to be married. Deal. Um, and then verse 23 says, But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah! Exclamation point. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? He probably didn't say it like that. He was probably a little more upset. Uh, did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Um, this is the oh my goodness verse. We went from the it's go time to oh my goodness. This is crazy. I cannot believe this just happened. He just woke up with the wrong sister. And uh, uh, he wakes up expecting to see beautiful Rachel. He wakes up expecting to see the woman uh, that is the face of the woman that has kept him going for seven years of hard work in the field. Probably a woman he dreamed about during those seven years. He wakes up expecting to see her face. Instead, he sees Leah. And they don't look alike, remember. If you're like me, you're thinking, seriously? How could this happen? How could you accidentally do that, essentially? And how's that happen? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Must have been some party. Um, I th- honestly, I think you're right. And uh, we're going to keep that as G-rated as we possibly can. But many of our patriarchs had issues with alcohol and their inability to show moderation. And so, uh, when you say must have been some party, I think you're very right. To me, it seems the best possibility that he, um, uh, seven years of hard work, imagine like four years of college and you graduate and you're very excited, this is seven years of hard work um, uh, for something far greater than a diploma. And uh, uh, it seems that alcohol had to have played a role. It's not included in there, um, but it seems like that I heard one guy refer to this as a version of early Hebrew coyote ugly, is what he called it. <laughs> so if you've seen that, you know what that means. Yeah. Uh, there was nothing in any of that. Um, this whole thing is screwed up. This is not a typical situation. There's, there's no dowry. There's no bride price. Um, uh, is he in there? Okay. Does he seem pretty drunk? Okay. Get Leah. I mean, this whole thing is messed up from the get-go, and it gets worse. So, no, I didn't see anything about any veils or any other respectable things along the, uh, along the road here. Um, Jacob is understandably upset, right? I mean, understandably upset. I think we could all say, Jacob, I understand why you are a little upset uh, of what happened. But is Jacob blameless in this? 
Oh, he's not blameless. Jacob's got all kinds of screw-ups along the way. Uh, what's revealed in the question, what is this you have done to me? He gets up and he goes to Laban and he says, what is this you have done to me? What's revealed in that question? Yeah, there's certainly a lack of responsibility. How could this happen to me? Well, you played a role there, Jacob. Um, he goes straight to Laban. Uh, what else is, is, is revealed in that? Lack of responsibility, what else? What is this you've done to me? A victim. Have we seen this before? Where you give way to the solicitations of the flesh, and then you play the victim, and then you get angry? Like with Adam... Adam, what have you done? It was the woman you gave to me. She made me give way to the solicitations of the flesh and eat that fruit. Okay. Same with Esau. Gave way to the solicitations of the, of the flesh. He, tried to, he, tried to, he sought the birthright with, with tears. He was the victim. And he was upset. And here, Jacob gives way to the solicitations of the flesh. He plays the victim, and he's upset. There is no, uh, hi, Leah. What are you doing here? There's no real concern for Leah, is there? There's no, uh, where's Rachel? Have you seen Rachel today? Um, we could keep going and keep going. But he, uh, he knows that the only one who could have done this was Laban. He knows this is Laban's doing. This reeks of Laban. And so he goes straight to Laban. And also, Jacob is most worried about who? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob is most worried about Jacob. Can't believe this happened. Uh, I can understand why he's upset, but he is not Mr. Blameless, uh, though he is playing the part of the victim very, very well here. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There should be striking, striking similarities between mother, mother, sister, brother there, his mom. And it gets even worse as we go along. Um, it's almost like God's trying to tell Jacob something. Um, what is the question, why then have you deceived me? Uh, remind you of, what does that take you to? It's almost like he's shaking uncontrollably. Yeah. 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 Isaac blesses him and shakes and so who's done this? And uh, Jacob, Jacob is no stranger to deception. I'm not promoting karma here. I'm not promoting karma. Karma says what goes around comes around. And if ever there was a circumstance where you would want to say, "Dude, what goes around comes around," that's Leah. Um, this would be one of those circumstances. But I'm not promoting karma. However, in our process of sanctification, we find that we very often reap what we sow. That's something that happens on, on earth as we are here, as a people who are being redeemed, a people who are in the process of sanctification. Um, we, could, we, could, uh, we could probably just have testimony time from here on out on the reaping what you sow about even when things are good and you're moved along, you've moved along, bad decisions that you've made will oftentimes come back around. It, do, it doesn't say, make a bunch of bad decisions, get your Jesus on, 
and nothing, uh, it's just nothing, nothing's bad going to happen. That's not reality at all. Um, here, we see, we're reminded, one, it's a process of sanctification. And we see that uh, it's, it's actually a sign of God's grace and mercy. Because he shows us the folly and consequences of our faithless ways. And oftentimes, this happens after we've grown up a little and matured in our faith. A lot of times, it's after you've grown up a little and you've matured in your faith and you've moved along. You're further along in the process of sanctification. Something comes along. Bad decision you made before. The way you acted towards someone who all of a sudden you see him again, you're like, oh man, I was a total jerk to that person. I, I, I hope they don't even see me. But things come around where it's like, we can see it rightly on this side of it is God's grace saying, yeah, yeah, that's a good reminder that I shouldn't have acted like that then. Rather than just, well, I'm not that person anymore. Um, Jacob could have done that here. I am a new man. I saw the ladder, the thing, and the wilderness, the pillow, stone. I'm, new. I'm not that guy anymore. But the reality is, is uh, we see a lot of things that are self-serving in this whole thing. But it's oftentimes that that happens after we've grown up a little and matured in our faith. It's not karma. I'm not saying what goes around comes around. I'm saying that we can be thankful to a God who has us in a process of sanctification. And in that process, he will give us reminders that, yes, those bad things you said, those bad things you do, those deceitful things you did, said, showed, were a part of, whatever. It doesn't just go away because you've decided to move forward or you have actually moved forward. There are very real consequences as long as we're on earth. Now, there's a time. That's part of the reason that heaven is so wonderful is that there is no heartache. There's no, uh, there's no memories of these bad things. There's, no, um, there's none of this stuff happening. This, oh, man, yeah, that, I did do that. I, I need to take responsibility for my actions. Um, it's grace and it's mercy. And so grace and mercy are very real, and it doesn't undo what's happened here. But this should not look very foreign to Jacob. Jacob is not a stranger to deception. And look at verse 26. This is where it is just like... Just like, just the knife is in, and then you just, this is where it's just twisted. Um, just to finish it off, Laban's response. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Oh, dang. <laughs> Laban's response just kind of looks like it adds insult to injury a little bit. Uh, I didn't deceive you, is what Laban's saying. I didn't deceive you. I just did what was customary. It's not normal that the younger receive such a blessing before the older. Surely you understand. And uh, you can imagine Jacob kind of smirking, kind of, yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about that whole older, younger thing. Um, heard about that. It's like the sibling who gets in trouble for not sharing with her sister, and then her sister doesn't share with her, and you say, doesn't it make you uh, sad when your sister doesn't share with you? It's kind of that same scenario. Um, where you see the little girl say, ah, oh, I get it. I, I, I've heard about that. That makes sense. Um, something else to consider here. Men almost always agree on vague generalities about what's noble and right. Men and women alike. I'm saying mankind almost always agrees on vague generalities about what's wrong and right. For instance, helping the poor. Wrong or right? Okay, right. Beating up your wife. Okay. Being honest. Okay, being untruthful. Okay, it, see, see, that was a great exercise of <laughs> proof and insight. Y'all are smarter now because you heard that. Um, it, it's, it's, they, they came to terms. He said, what's your wages? I'll serve you seven years for Rachel. Okay, great, cool. 
But what happens is one dude did not hold up his end of the bargain. It's made a total mess, a generational mess. And oddly enough, these generations we see being born here, the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, we just see this setup for Joseph, the last one born there in that list that we read, Joseph, who ends up, uh, we'll get to that. But, um, but men almost always agree on vague generalities about what is noble's right, noble and right. Uh, everyone would agree that helping the poor is a good thing. But when it comes to, uh, to meet downtown at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning and bring some food for the homeless, uh, we'll find that not all the men who said it was good will actually show up. Why? Well, when the sacrifice comes out in the details, it's a lot harder to follow through. Um, business dealings. It's easy to say, don't worry, I'll do a great job and give you a great price. Fantastic. Wouldn't it be nice if all business dealings would, could be, um, are you going to do a great job? Yeah. Will you give me a great price? Yeah. Okay, then we have a deal. Does it work like that in the real world? No, not at all. Why? Yeah, it'll be a good deal for me. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is, um, it's easy to say, don't worry. Uh, let's just, let's make this easy. But um, when all other things are taken into account and the work is done, uh, many times uh, one who employs another will receive an invoice from a contractor or something like that that seems exorbitantly high. Why? Because there was an agreement on a generality. There was just agreement on generality. Oh, yeah, I agree to good things. We, we, we can agree on almost everything if it's just generalities. Is that a good, re- yeah, that's good, yeah. You think this is good? Yeah, it's easy to agree on generalities. Um, that there would be good work given for a good price. But when the sacrifice comes out in the details, it's harder to follow through. Uh, Calvin was quoting an ancient guy, and he said, the ancient guy said, we should deal lawfully with our friends that we may not afterwards be obliged to go to law with them. We should deal lawfully with our friends that we may not be afterwards obliged to go to law with them. What he's saying is do everything in an upright, clear accountable manner so you don't got to go to court and be enemies with your friends, with those you're dealing with, with even acquaintances. Don't do that. Be upright because if you don't deal in lawful terms, putting everything in writing, then when it's all said and done, um, you're going to end up enemies. You're going to have to go to the law to settle a dispute that shouldn't happen. This says something about believers not suing each other. This just says, put it on paper. Put some things in place that promote accountability and clarity as to the original agreement. Don't be vague. Be specific. Oftentimes, it's in the vague that the dishonest hides. I think there's something we can learn here. It's oftentimes in the vague that the dishonest hides. It means if you're saying, hey, can you, if, if I'm going to have someone out to, to paint a wall in my house, I'd never hire that out, but if I did. Um, and I said, hey, can you paint this wall? Yeah, we can. Okay. Uh, will you do good work? Yes. Will you give me a good price? Yes. Okay. How much is it going to cost to paint that wall? <laughs> no, seriously, just how much is it going to cost to paint the wall? Oh, we'll see. No, really, just give me a, a price on the painting of the wall. We'll do our best. Like if someone doesn't want to come out with it, it's like, what are you, what are you trying to do? You're just going to see how the wheat goes. You're going you're gonna to do it and then charge me something that I have to pay because you did the work. Well, why can't we just be upfront about it? Oftentimes, it's the vague. It's in the vague, the vague sector that the dishonest can hide. 
but it won't hide for long. If, if you say to someone, I would like some specifics, and they say, why, don't you trust me? Then you say, yes, I trust you, and I would not have considered you for this work if I didn't trust you. So let's put some things in place. We can both continue to trust each other. It's good. Let's just be forward about everything rather than deal in vague terms. An unclear answer can leave lots of room for self-serving conclusions. An unclear answer can leave lots of room for self-serving conclusions. If you've ever purchased a car, you know what I'm talking about. You ever in there? Oh, yeah, we'll get you the best deal ever. We'll give you the best deal on your trade, and we'll give you the best price on the car, and we'll give you the best. I'm only here for you. I don't even like making money doing this. But if you don't have, that's why it takes like 18 weeks to buy a car because you got to get these terms down and say, no, no, that's not cool. That's not going to work. Uh, what about, the, what is this little fee here? Oh, don't worry about that fee. It's, it's for you. It says it's for you, you know? I mean, like, you, if you've ever bought a car, you know what I'm talking about here. An unclean answer can leave lots of room for self-serving conclusions. The word fair is sometimes a little too vague when it comes to specifics. Everyone would agree that fair is better. But fair doesn't always mean cheaper. Fair doesn't always mean faster or easier. For some, fair flat out means not fair. It's better for you to know that before you enter into an obligation with another person. Tangible example, uh, bids for our church building. Like, we want to finish that out sometime. There's a building out there that we intend to move into one day to have corporate worship in, and we're going to have to have lights and stuff and toilets and all. Um, but, you know, we're wanting to get that going, right? Well, it's not enough just to, just to be vague and, hey, can you do that? Yeah, we'll do it. Okay, well, what about when? Okay, sometime this year. Okay, cool. What about the price? I don't know, something. It won't be too much. Well, that's not how you deal because people end up getting mad or upset. Um, we don't get multiple bids because we don't trust anybody. Rather, it's because we want to be good stewards and have accountability and clear expectations built into the work from the beginning of the process. Be up front. Um, I, was talking, I was talking to you. Yeah, we were talking about uh, um, a friend of mine used to, um, I, I thought he was breaking child labor laws, but he was employing the youth. And, uh, uh, and he would, you know, he'd have them come over and, you know, paint the house or do something, but he'd always be up front. He'd always say, all right, what do you want? And usually the answer you're going to get, whatever, you know. Well, can you plant all these flowers in that garden? Okay, cool. What do you want to do that? Whatever. And he would always say, whatever doesn't work, I want to be very clear as to what you're doing and what I'm going to give you. That's better that way because there's no problems afterwards. It's very clear. And he would always deal like that, right? 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 Okay, he'd always deal like that. Okay, um, because it was good. It was upstanding. If I had uh, Jeff Ott or Scott Fiesel, two very close friends who are fantastic home builders if you're in the market, um, if I had either of them uh, build me a house, it would be unwise for me to just say, Okay, I trust you. Just give me a good deal and let me know when it's done. Seriously, no one's going to be friends when that's done. They're not going to pick the paint color that my wife wanted for the living room. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, that would be foolish to deal in that way. Okay, I trust you. Just give me a good deal. What you're practicing there really has very little to do with trust. It doesn't have much to do with trust. Um, there are just too many other factors that got to be considered and to keep from a volume of possible misunderstandings and unfactored issues, it's best to be very clear about budget and expectation and timelines. Um, otherwise, we're left open to assumptions, we're left open to unrealistic expectations, and we're left open to a lot of really unneeded frustrations. You just be upfront. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is a poor person who walks in integrity 
than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Better is a cruel person, a, a cruel. <laughs> Better is a poor person, a po person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. That's saying that ask any small business owner. Ask any small business owner, and it is hard to walk in integrity. Because when everyone around you is not walking in integrity, and you want to walk in integrity, what ends up happening is, is they're getting better prices, and it looks better on their end because they're not walking according to integrity. And when you say, I oh, know I want to serve the Lord in this, and I want to do well, what ends up happening is a lot of times you don't, maybe don't, you don't get the bid, you don't get the job, you don't get the sell, whatever. Um, but uh, it's better to be a poor person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Proverbs 14.2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. To be devious is to show a skillful use of underhanded tactics to achieve your own goals. Don't be devious, people. Be upstanding people. Be people who walk in uprightness because you fear the Lord. To walk in uprightness because you fear the Lord, fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. There's wisdom in that. There's beauty in that. And it, and it puts on display how God works. Ultimately, Laban is trying to discount his wickedness by giving a seemingly respectable excuse. Well, Jacob, I can't do that. That goes against the laws of nature. Surely you understand that, right? But what does Laban reveal in the very next verse? Verse 27. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return, serving me another seven years. I'll give you a twofer. What is that? Oh, yeah. I will not let you marry the uh, younger before the older, because that's not customary to the laws of nature. Finish up the honeymoon, and you can have both. Yeah, because two sisters marrying the same man doesn't go against the laws of nature. Not at all, right? If I were doing premarital counseling with these three, <laughs> I would warn them of some serious problems on the horizon. Maybe some imbalance. It might be difficult for you as sisters trying to share a husband. Laban's not noble. He's a self-serving opportunist. At this point, he may have said, he, he could have even just said, okay, take them both. I did say that. Okay, you can have Rachel too. He could have said that. But he says, Jacob, I know you're like 100 years old now, but if you really want Rachel, I will give her to you. After you finish Leah's honeymoon, you take Leah on a honeymoon. You treat her good. But you're going to have to serve me another seven years. When you get back from the honeymoon, you can have them both, but you'll have them both only if you stay here for another seven years and serve me. Laban. I just want to punch Laban right in the face when I read this. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. How could this whole thing have turned out different? How could the whole thing have turned out totally different? Wait, what? What? If he would have honored his agreement. What even before the honoring of the agreement? If what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. That's never going to turn out well. Yeah? What, what? Yes! That would have changed everything. 
If he would have been up front from the beginning, all of this jacked up Jerry Springer stuff would not have happened. Yeah, or doesn't, yeah. yeah. He values them as much as he can get out of them. Yeah. Exactly. I've actually got that in my notes. Seriously. Right here. Yeah, that is, it would have turned out different. If Laban would have been clear up front that the firstborn has to be married first, and then Rachel could marry, I bet Jacob would have waited. Not that Jacob's super Mr. Noble, but he worked seven years to marry her. And then when it didn't work out so well and he accidentally slept with her ugly sister, he worked seven more years. I bet if Laban would have said, Rachel's, uh, Leah's got to get married first, and then we'll talk about Rachel, I bet he would have said, okay, how about I work for you until that happens? Because I love her and I want to wait for her. I bet he would have done it. And I also had my notes. He may have tried to give Leah a makeover to speed up the process, <laughs> but I bet he would have waited and served just the same. And it's interesting because Laban, the one thing we see about him up until, well, up through most of these verses is it, then, it says, uh, uh, verse 28, Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave her his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. We'll talk about that next week. And served Laban for another seven years. Laban just becomes calloused in his dealings. You can imagine, he, he was not very apologetic. He was not very, oh, yeah, you caught me. I was a little crooked. He's like, yeah, whatever. You're going to serve me seven more years. And I'll give you this other daughter of mine. I mean, he's calloused. This is a hard dude. And, you know, um, she was there. They're all living under the same roof, like I'm saying. You can imagine. That's a really great question. Um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of, uh, or a few, I'll not say a lot, I'll say at least a few of the different notes and commentators that I've read um, believe that there's no possible way this would have happened without Leah and Rachel knowing at least somewhat ahead of time, like before the wedding night, that there must have been something in the works that said, now that doesn't mean that Rachel, Rachel may have been upset. Um, we don't know any, Rachel may have been like, he's like 70, he's old. I, don't, I mean, we don't know anything about what Rachel thinks about Jacob. Um, yeah. They're pro yeah, they're mu I mean, yeah, Leah was not very pretty, but I don't think that's enough to say, well, I'll never get married because my older sister's super ugly. You know what I mean? Like, it, she could have gone down the route of saying, well, um, that's a possibility, but um, I believe that there must have had at least been some involvement in Leah and Rachel. I don't want to say too much about that because you're having to assume upon what happened that wasn't mentioned in the scriptures. But um, Leah at least knew something because she, um, she went on in there. And, uh, uh, and Rachel may have been upset, um, but you didn't hear her screaming, Jacob, sober up, you know, I mean, so there was something. And also during that time, there was a, um, there was probably a certain amount of what dad says goes. This isn't like, you know, teenage love story, typical like, but I love him. You know, I mean, there's probably like Laban says this is the way it's going to be and it's going to be that way. And also those girls grew up in a house with their dad as Laban. Laban's their dad. So they're probably 
schemers as well. And we, well, we know they are. I mean, gosh, look what happens when they start having babies. Good night. They're crazy schemers. Um, so yeah, we'll go to that next week. We're done. Uh, any other questions or thoughts? Don't marry your cousin. And if you do, don't also marry her sister. That's a good conclusion. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this uh, weird study. Um, uh, and I think that hopefully we could have gleaned um, some insight from this on how to make decisions the right way, how to deal in an upright manner, how, how to not be deceptive and devious, uh, how to not um, be very good at getting what we want when we want it the way we want it, how to be okay with saying, okay, up front, this is how everything's going to be, rather than I want to leave a little room for me to gain a little more here, and I want to leave a little room over here to me, for me to gain a little more here. Um, Lord, we know that we live in a world that makes it hard to deal honestly in anything. Um, but I pray that we would um, represent you rightly as image bearers and walk according to your ways and not our own and not the world's. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jesus, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.